Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Charlie Allen Jr. disappeared on Thursday, October 11th, 2007. When a person disappears without a trace, often the most critical information is hidden in their actions and words from the days before they vanished. Charlie Allen's last known whereabouts may hold the clues to what happened to him. 22-year-old college student and tennis buff Charlie Allen goes after life with gusto. He would eat, sleep, and breathe tennis. If he wanted to be good at something, he wanted to be the best. One afternoon, in typical Charlie fashion, he makes plans with a buddy to go to a party. Charlie was really excited about the chance to go talk to girls and just to have a good time. But he never shows up. On a chilly October night in 2007, Charlie Allen Jr. disappears. I was trying him on his phone, um, no response. The mystery deepens when his Facebook account is abruptly deleted, and he warns his family that people may be after him. He said there are people after him, and he's not safe. Police are baffled by the bizarre case. In my time here as a police officer, we've never encountered a story such as this. And his loved ones find themselves ricocheting between hope and despair. I just felt like, look out tomorrow. It would just be too unbearable to think otherwise. It's a chilly evening in southeastern Massachusetts in October 2007. 22-year-old UMass Dartmouth student Charlie Allen is running barefoot and shirtless along a wooded road a few miles from campus. The tennis junkie, who was once one of the world's top-ranked online gamers, is sure that someone is after him and that neither he nor his family is safe. This dash into the night will resonate with Charlie's loved ones as the moment everything went wrong. 
Just a few days earlier, Charlie heads over to nearby Providence, Rhode Island to meet his younger sister, Brittany. 15 months apart, the two siblings are very close and see each other often. Charlie and I grew up together. We did everything together. We always had like that connection. We would always be there for each other, you know? We saw each other all the time. They catch up over lunch with their mother, Anne, who comes down to see her kids a couple of times a month from her home a little more than an hour and a half drive north in Haverhill, Massachusetts. That was a great day. I just remember leaving feeling happy. He was doing good in school, played tennis, and he seemed happy. And I remember driving home feeling really good. Charlie is the oldest of three kids in a tight-knit family. Very close. Charlie and I could talk about anything and everything. He told me more, sometimes things I didn't really want to know. He was a great kid growing up. Um, you know, enjoyed uh, playing baseball and was very good at school. He enjoyed life and he did well. He was in the honor society. He could uh, get good grades without even trying hard. Charlie grows up hanging out with friends in the neighborhood and enjoying vacations at the family's summer house in Gloucester, Massachusetts. Charlie had a lot of neighborhood friends and our house was one of the gathering places. It was just always like the light of the party. He was just very outgoing and just liked to have a good time. He was a good guy. He seemed like, you know, he had everything in order. In high school, Charlie becomes interested in online gaming, competitions in which multiple players compete over the internet. He becomes especially good at the game Half-Life. He was uh, very determined. Uh, he would put a lot of time and effort into anything to make himself the best, and he, he was the best. When Charlie first got into online gaming, he fell in love with it. He wanted to be number one. Charlie's gamer name is Neo, and he soon becomes one of the top-ranked Half-Life players in the world, even traveling to Texas for a tournament. He was considered the number one player in the world. Standings, his stats, if you looked him up online, that, that would easily tell that. He was very well regarded, one of the best in the world, and um, a lot of people knew him for that. They wrote articles about him and that kind of thing, so it was pretty impressive. I remember in high school, and some stranger walked up to me and was like, are you Neo's sister? It's like, um, yeah, I guess so. He's like, I love him. After graduating high school, Charlie enrolls at UMass Dartmouth. He majors in psychology and gets good grades. He even thinks about going on to medical school after graduation. Having conquered the online gaming world, Charlie shifts his focus to tennis when he gets to college. He approaches it with the same determination to learn and be the best. He ended up making the college team. He would dedicate himself to, to something, a passion, and he would spend pretty much all his time working at that particular thing and until he felt he was mastering it. It was all I talked about. He would study it, the strategies of the game, and he would play all the time. He would eat, sleep, and breathe tennis. He was always a happy-go-lucky guy, always had a positive attitude. On the courts at UMass Dartmouth, Charlie meets fellow student Mason Vio. I had gone down there to practice. I had seen him. Um, he had asked me to hit, so we started hitting, and we got it off from there. The two quickly bond over their mutual love of tennis. Charlie was a uh, quick learner. He had developed his skills pretty quickly, and 
Um, he had a good forehand. He liked coming to the net, um, and he was able to stay out there with anyone. Charlie is fascinated when Mason tells him he trained at tennis academies in Florida, something Charlie aspires to do himself. Charlie wanted to get a lot better. Uh, he had always said he wanted to go down south and just train to see how good he could get. At 2 o'clock on Thursday, October 11th, 2007, Charlie and Mason meet on the courts to practice. We had practiced for um, two, two and a half hours, just uh, playing a little bit and just doing some drills. Nothing really seemed out of the ordinary. We uh, had a great practice. Charlie tells Mason that he has been invited to a party later that evening by a member of the girls' tennis team. He asks Mason to join him. He was really excited about the party, the chance to go talk to girls on the tennis team and just to have a good time. Charlie was uh, really excited and um, was happy that we were both going to go. The two friends grab dinner at the school cafeteria and then go their separate ways to shower and clean up. They agree to meet back on campus at 8.30 and go to the party together. Around 6 p.m., Mason heads to his house nearly a half hour away. Mason assumes Charlie is headed to his off-campus apartment in nearby New Bedford. I told Charlie that I would see him later tonight and the party should be good, and I will give you a call when I get back. At 8 o'clock that night, at her apartment in Providence, Charlie's sister Brittany is checking her Facebook account. We talk to each other on Facebook every day. He loved Facebook. Charlie had messaged her earlier that evening, and she wanted to get back to him. But when she logs on, she is shocked at what she finds. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Famous among his friends and family for his passion for tennis, 22-year-old Charlie Allen Jr. is finishing up his senior year of college. October 11, 2007, his sister Brittany logs onto Facebook to respond to a message Charlie sent her earlier. She is thrown by what she discovers. His uh, account was deleted. He didn't exist on there anymore. And so I thought it was crazy that all of a sudden he would delete it and he wouldn't even tell me. Brittany calls Charlie to find out what happened. And first was just like, hey, what are you doing? And he was like, um, I'm walking. Uh, thinking about going to this girl's party. I was like, okay, well, um, called because I was wondering why did you delete your Facebook? And I could just like hear over the phone him, like his heart dropping. It was like all of a sudden he got really scared. Brittany is confused when Charlie tells her he has no idea what happened to his Facebook page and that he didn't delete it. And then he just started panicking. He's talking really fast, just in a panic. What Charlie tells her next is stunning. There are people after him, and he's not safe, and I'm not safe. It's like, you have to leave school right now. You have to go home, stay with Dad. Dad's the only one who can protect you. There are really important people after me. I've sent some emails, and and I'm not safe. Right before he hung up, he said, all the answers are in the periodic table of elements. Distraught and bewildered, Brittany calls her father. I was really freaked out, and uh, I called my dad crying, and I was like, I don't know what's going on, but uh, Charlie is, he just scared me. Brittany had been very close to Charlie, but with the way that he was talking to her, she was very concerned about his well-being. And at the same time, my wife and I both had received uh, cell phone messages from Charlie where he was sounded like he was running and um, talking about uh, maybe heading south. You know, it was definitely concerning. In the message Charlie leaves for his father, he mentions Mexico and Florida. In the voicemail he leaves for his mother, he talks of Texas. I had had a message from Charlie, which was really out of character of him. He had told me that he needs to be loved more and that he was felt isolated. He was running at the time that he was talking to me. He was out of breath. And then he kind of hung up ab ab abruptly. And I tried calling him back, and um, he had turned off his cell phone. Charlie's parents and sister all try to reach him on his cell phone, but every call goes to voicemail. That same evening, on the UMass Dartmouth campus, Mason heads to the campus parking lot where he and Charlie are meeting to go to the party together. But Charlie never shows. I'd waited uh, about a half an hour to 45 minutes before I had left. I figured um, Charlie probably went to the party and just forgot about me. Mason tries one more time to reach Charlie. He gets voicemail and heads home. 
Meanwhile, Charlie's mother, father, and sister keep trying, but fail to reach him. Charlie had taken off a couple of times, um, usually just to go see tennis tournament. He'd always get in touch with us the same day or the next day, and, uh, and so we, you know, we figured he'd turn up, he'd turn up the next day. But Charlie doesn't turn up, and he doesn't call. His parents notify the university that Charlie has vanished. October 14, 2007. Three days after Charlie is last seen, police are called to investigate something suspicious a homeowner found in his backyard. Detective Robert Levinson of the Dartmouth Police Department is the patrolman on duty. On Sunday, October 14th, at around 11 o'clock in the morning, I was dispatched to a residence in town for some found property. Specifically, it was a backpack, a school-type backpack. Levinson looks through the backpack and finds a notebook. The name in the notebook was Charles Allen. I contacted the university campus, and from there I found out that Charles Allen Jr. had been reported missing. Bloodhound units are sent out to see what, if any, trace they can find of the college student. The canine search comes up empty, but over at UMass Dartmouth, campus police make a discovery. They find Charlie's Ford Expedition in a school parking lot. Inside the car is a pillow and blanket. It appeared as if that maybe Charlie had been sleeping in his vehicle rather than in his home. Up to this point, Charlie's family has assumed they would hear from him at any moment. But their concern turns to fear with the discovery of Charlie's car. When they found his car, that's when I just, just I, couldn't, I couldn't deal with it because I would leave his car. Monday, October 15th, the day after the car and backpack are discovered. Officer Levinson is talking about the case with a fellow cop. When he describes Charlie, his colleague tells him that the college student sounds just like a suspect in another case. There had actually been a housebreak um, not too far away from the campus. In the early morning hours of Friday, October 12th, a little more than six hours after Brittany last spoke to her brother, Jean Boudreau wakes to find someone with no shirt on climbing through her second-floor bedroom window. When she awoke, she had a brief conversation with this gentleman who had entered her window. And he says, oh, excuse me, ma'am, excuse me, ma'am, I'm just leaving. He was looking for his friend, Mason, and then he just proceeded to go out the window. He was actually very polite. Levinson is sure it's Charlie. The physical description is a match and he has already learned that Charlie has a friend named Mason. Just based on the physical description and the clothing description of the person who entered this, this um, resident's home, that person was more than likely Charlie Allen. This discovery only intensifies the mystery. Charlie's tennis buddy lives nowhere near the home that was broken into. It was a good 30 minutes away, and he had known where I lived. So I thought that was a little, little strange. It didn't make any sense to me. College student Charlie Allen Jr. leaves a series of worrisome messages on his parents' cell phone. And after a disturbing conversation with his sister, he disappears. When investigators seemingly tie the 22-year-old to a break-in at a home several miles from Charlie's UMass campus, the case becomes even more puzzling. Charlie was not a known criminal. Uh, this wasn't his normal behavior to break into someone's house.
But police learned something about Charlie that they think may explain this behavior. The father told me that his son was bipolar and uh, manic depressive, and he had acted um, irrational at times, and he might not have been taking his medication as he was supposed to. So it would all make sense that he was in some type of a manic state, and he was acting irrational. Years earlier in high school, Charlie was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, a condition that involves alternating periods of mania and depression. He became a bit manic um, and was a pretty big change for him. He had been somewhat shy um, in school up to that point, and suddenly he was very outgoing, and it was, it was noticeable. When he was manic, he talked a lot and fast, and, um, you know, he had somewhat grandiose thoughts. When he was uh, diagnosed in high school, he took medication for some period of time and started seeing a therapist and, and seemed to do better. Uh, you know, he finished high school, graduated, and um, it went well when he went to college. But in recent years, Charlie had an on-again, off-again relationship with his psychiatric medication. When they diagnosed him with bipolar disorder and they put him on, like, mood stabilizers, he said he wasn't the same. He felt, like, dead inside. He didn't get happy or sad. I remember one time I was so upset about something, like hysterically crying to him about it. And he looked at me and he was like, I'm just jealous that you can feel like that, feel passionately about something, even if it's bad, because he didn't. The summer before he disappeared, Charlie stopped taking the drugs altogether. Eventually he stopped taking the medication on his own. Uh, things had leveled out. Uh, he tried to maintain his uh, physical uh, well-being in relationship to his mental well-being, and he seemed like he was somewhat under control doing it that way. And he was like, I wasn't alive before. I feel like I'm living for the first time. Police suspect Charlie's disappearance is connected to his bipolar disorder, and that off his medication, he may have slipped into a manic state. We believed that we were dealing with a, with a mentally ill individual, and time was of the essence to find him before uh, he had hurt himself or, or something even worse. But the people who know Charlie best, his family and friends, find it impossible to believe that Charlie's condition is serious enough to make him want to disappear. People uh, don't understand, you know, mental illness, where people call mental illness, and once they hear that label, it's like, oh, he probably just ran away, or he's probably schizophrenic, he has no idea, he's just crazy. I think he's more sane than anyone I've ever met. Even when Charlie was manic, he always made sense. He never, he never lost his touch with reality. Charlie's mother, who saw him just days before he disappeared, says there would usually be a buildup to a manic episode. And during her recent visit with her son, there was no evidence of that at all. It starts off slow when it builds and it's builds and it's builds. That's the way it was with Charlie. You just don't lose your mind in one minute and run away. There were no signs indicating that he was going to have a breakdown of any kind, so um, it all seemed a little strange to me. In fact, Mason, who saw Charlie several times a week, had no idea his friend was bipolar. 
that was news to me because he had always been really level-headed, happy-go-lucky, um, and hung out with him a lot. There was nothing um, to suggest that he was uh, depressed or um, bipolar at all. But in hindsight, Mason does remember something a little odd from the last day he saw Charlie. At dinner time, Charlie um, and I went to the um, school um, cafeteria, and when we had sat down, he reached across to grab pizza from my plate. Um, I thought that was a little strange. I had mentioned it, and he said he thought that it was his uh, slice of pizza. We both kind of laughed it off. In another strange twist, police also learned that shortly before he disappeared, Charlie legally changed his name from Charles Allen Jr. to Neo Babson Maximus. One day, I got home from work, and uh, he's like, check this out. I changed my name, and he took out his license, and he showed it to me, and it said, Neo Babson Maximus. And I just laughed. I was like, you serious? What the hell is this? I just kind of like brushed it aside, like, I'm still calling you Charlie. I'm not calling you Neo in the public. Neo, Charlie's online gaming name, is taken from the movie The Matrix, while Maximus comes from the film Gladiator. Babson is a family name. I asked him why, and he wanted it to be different. And um, he wanted to be the best tennis player in the world. That was his goal. And he thought that it sounded a lot better if he had a different name. Charlie didn't talk widely of the name change. In fact, many are later surprised to find out about it. Charlie had never mentioned anything about changing his name. I did not know Charlie had changed his name until after he had gone missing. Police see the name change as further evidence of Charlie's troubled state of mind. I don't know what makes a person decide to change their name. Not only do we have a person that's missing, we have an individual that legally changed his name. And perhaps, you know, did he do that to escape his, his past, uh, to start a new life, maybe... I don't know. I, mean, I guess the, uh, there's so many possible answers out there. Charlie's family last heard from him on a Thursday. A week later, there is still no word. I just felt like, I'll call tomorrow. It would just be too un unbearable to think otherwise. His parents think back to the baffling voicemails he left each of them just before his disappearance, talking about heading south. His last conversation with his sister, Brittany, is equally confusing. Charlie told Brittany that people were after him and he wasn't safe, but none of his friends are aware of any danger he may have been facing or any enemies he may have had. Charlie didn't have any enemies. I mean, he was just a happy guy and was everyone's friend. So for him to have enemies was a little uh, far-fetched, it seemed. The kid wasn't really a troublesome kid. I mean, he never picked fights. He wasn't like a mean person. I don't know why he said that. Police don't find any evidence to indicate that anyone is after Charlie or that he had been in danger. But Charlie's mother and sister don't believe Charlie's fears are imaginary. I didn't think that there was any chance in hell that he was just having an illusion that there were people after him. I could tell that he was being honest. He was really scared. Charlie Allen Jr. is last seen in early October 2007. The college student suffers from bipolar disorder and police seemingly link him to a home break-in. 
law enforcement devotes every resource available to search around the UMass Dartmouth campus and in neighboring New Bedford. I think the fact that Charlie did suffer from some type of mental illness made it all the more urgent to search the woods and to, uh, to reach out to as many people um, who knew Charlie and that maybe had seen him within the last few days before he disappeared. Police find Charlie's sneakers along a road not far from the house he allegedly broke into, which seems to confirm their suspicion that he was the shirtless intruder. The search escalated uh, from the use of uh, Massachusetts State Police helicopter to a widespread search with multiple people searching for Charlie in the wooded area. It's a very dense wooded area in, in that part of Dartmouth. Now, with no shirt, no shoes, and wearing just a pair of warm-up pants, how far could the college student have made it in the cool, rainy October weather? If anybody could figure out a way to survive, it would be Charlie. He knew how to take care of himself, and so he was definitely the type of person that would find a way if he wanted to. When Charlie's family reports that he had a very active online life, police check Charlie's computer for possible clues to his whereabouts. There was nothing really all that helpful on his computer that would lead us in a different direction. The detective who, who checked the computer did not report anything out of the ordinary. The only finding of interest is that one of the last pages Charlie looked at online was a website for the University of Texas. In the voicemail he left for his mother, he mentioned going to Texas. Had Charlie been researching a secret move south? We contacted the university down there and just to inquire whether Charlie had in fact applied at that university and we were told that no, there was no file um, with his name attached to it. If Charlie had an interest in going to Texas, he would tell me. Because he knows I would say, if you want to do that, hun, do it. Charlie's mother is more concerned with what police didn't find on his computer. Charlie had told his sister he was in trouble because he had sent some emails to important people. But those emails are nowhere to be found. In fact, all of Charlie's recent emails are missing. There were no emails before he went missing. There were no emails from October 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. But I just thought it was really strange. Blows my mind that we could give Charlie's computer to the police to do the forensics, and someone who lived his entire life on the computer, they found nothing. He, like, lived a virtual life, you know, and they found nothing. If there is any truth to the notion that someone was after Charlie, could they have tampered with his computer and purposely wiped it clean? Or could it have been Charlie himself who did it? Could the online phenom have intended to take himself off the grid? If he wanted to change his identity, I'm pretty sure he could have done it. I mean, he's pretty creative in, you know, the terms of being able to, you know, act, you know, and, and be something, you know, different. He did change his name, so I guess, in a sense, his identity was kind of altered already. According to his friends and family, Charlie had a knack for mastering things quickly. Could he have been equally adept at setting up his own disappearance? Was changing his name a first step in creating a new identity? Charlie's family has a hard time believing this could be true. People would say to me, you know, maybe he just doesn't want to be found. Maybe he wanted to go off like that. And I'm like, well, you don't know him. He would never want to do that. He 
was gonna go to med school. He wanted to be a doctor. He was so happy where he was at the time with what he was doing. And he had goals for the future. He loved his apartment, loved his classes, loved playing tennis. And then all of a sudden it's all like gone. Charlie has been missing for more than a week. With no news concerning his whereabouts, his family is getting increasingly desperate. We couldn't sleep, you know, trouble eating, crying all day. It was just unimaginable. It uh, actually was just, you know, difficult to function. Every second of every day, you'd be thinking about it. And uh, it's just totally unimaginable. Did Charlie flee in a manic state brought on by bipolar disorder? Did he decide to create a new identity someplace else? Or, as he told his sister, were people really after him? There are numerous scenarios as to what could have happened to Charlie Allen. He was in our town. Someone had seen him. Someone had interacted with him. After that, it's anyone's guess um, what happened. Finally, a few weeks after Charlie is last seen, a witness comes forward. Jim Costa is an electric company troubleshooter. On a Saturday morning in October 2007, he leaves early for work. Driving down Cross Road, I did notice a young man, uh, no shirt on, and uh, he looked rather disheveled. He uh, looked shaken. He didn't look that good. And I saw that young man walking towards a truck, maybe to ask for help, or maybe he was slept in that truck. I didn't know. While the young man sounds like he could be Charlie, Costa is not able to remember exactly when he saw him, the Saturday just days after Charlie disappeared, or the Saturday a week later. If it was the right day, I feel confident that it was that student. The intersection is near the UMass Dartmouth campus. It is also along Route 6, a major thoroughfare that feeds right onto Interstate 195. We haven't been able to confirm if that was in fact Charlie. But if it was, what happened? Did he approach the truck driver for help? or a ride. It's possible he could have gotten on the truck and, and, and left the area. That opens up a whole new door for us, or for the family. It gives us hope that maybe Charlie is alive. December 2007. Charlie has been missing for more than two months, and the trail is growing cold. After a certain time frame in any investigation, um, after a couple of searches had been conducted, uh, the phone stopped ringing. The the leads just weren't coming in. We sort of hit a wall in the investigation. It just became more excruciating. You know, anxiety increased tenfold every day with nothing being found. While Charlie's shoes and backpack were quickly located, there is no sign of his cell phone or his wallet. His father keeps Charlie's bank and cell phone accounts active, just in case. The bank card uh, was never used after he had disappeared. And uh, actually, the cell phone itself, I, I still have the account active, um, just in case every time the phone rang here at home, it would be your heart would jump. You think it's him or somebody calling about him. Every time you know you hear a car pull up or somebody come to the door, you think it could be him. For about five or six months, I call him every single day, multiple times. I'd leave him like voicemails and stuff to the point where you couldn't leave him voicemails anymore. The phone would just keep ringing or it would just hang up on you. Charlie's family prays for answers. But as the days wear on, 
they are left with only questions. Where is he? What happened to him, and why hasn't he called? It is impossible for them to believe that Charlie has intentionally cut them off, but it is even more horrifying to imagine that he may have done so against his will. So, it's just like you're suspended. Sometimes I pray for answers, and then I think, oh wait, <laughs> is that really what I want? What if, you know, he's dead, but it still eats away at you, you know? You can't find peace unless you figure it out. The disappearance of 22-year-old college student Charlie Allen Jr. devastates his family and confounds police. It's very frustrating. Is it possible he's out there and doesn't really remember who he is? I don't know. I personally would like to believe that he's, he's alive and he's out there somewhere. Several months after Charlie's disappearance, his family is dismayed by the lack of movement in the investigation. They reach out to a private investigator, John Lassis. Charlie Allen Sr. contacted me and they were just devastated that they hadn't been able to locate him. Described him as very intelligent, loved this family, and they knew that he was off his medication. He was manic. He believed that he was uh, being stalked. People were after him and his family. Lassise takes on the case pro bono and forms a cold case team with several other PIs to help. They start by considering the area where Charlie was last seen and weighing whether or not he could still be somewhere in the vicinity. Could he be in the woods? Absolutely. He may have committed suicide. He may have fallen into foul play. It's all possibility. The first order of business is to organize a new and comprehensive search of the four-square-mile wooded area bordering UMass Dartmouth. The terrain is dense and difficult to navigate. Alive or dead, if Charlie is in the woods, Lassise is confident that they'll find him. Police have already explored the area, but Lassise and his partners plan a much larger and deeper search, employing ground searchers, ATVs, helicopters, canine units, and cadaver dogs. More than 300 people take part, and the massive effort kicks off on the year anniversary of Charlie's disappearance. This search um, is the largest civilian-run search that we're aware of um, in New England. Private investigator Alan Tate coordinates the search. As guides, he uses Charlie's last known location as well as where his shoes and backpack were found. To search this area here, uh, although on the map it looks uh, nice, wide, and open, on the ground it, it's very thick and, and very di difficult for ground uh, searches to navigate through. Charlie's friend Anthony is one of the many volunteer searchers. I was kind of hoping we didn't find anything, because obviously who wants to, I mean, you want closure sometimes, but at the same time, I mean, I'm the type where I don't want to give up, so it's like I don't want like an ending that's not positive. But on the third day of the search, a team including Charlie's own cousin comes across some bones. When we got the call, it, our hearts just dropped. Obviously, after that period of time, you know, it's almost like you might expect it's going to happen, that they would find him. Um, you know, so it was, your hearts dropped, but you feel like this is finally it. For like 24 hours, we didn't know if they were his bones. That's not a fun situation to be in. 
when they found the bones. Just, I couldn't even describe to you what that feels like. We just pretty much died. But the bones turn out to be animal, not human remains. It was difficult to do the search, but it was something that was necessary to do. We knew it, it needed to be done. And in my opinion, the outcome was good. You know, that, that he wasn't found. I was just exhilarated that they didn't find anything. I don't believe that Charlie is in the woods. I believe at this point that Charlie made it out. But where did he go? While the search indicates that it is unlikely Charlie or his body is in the woods, it still offers no clues to what happened to the college student. There's so many different ways you can look at it. I'm trying to, re I personally am trying to remain positive. Uh, I'd like to think that he's out there somewhere and he's still alive. Uh, I think that if Charlie had passed away, I, I think we would have come across him by now. The only place to go with this investigation right now is to assume that he is alive and see if we can find him. As the months pass, there is no word from Charlie and no sign of him anywhere. The investigation appears to have hit a dead end, but his friends remain hopeful. I feel like wherever he wanted to go, he had a plan. Um, and if the plan didn't work out, you know, 100% the way he wanted it to, the way he thinks, he would have a backup plan. He would have ways of getting by if stuff didn't go the way he wanted it to go. I think Charlie wandered off. I think um, he probably is somewhere down south playing tennis like he wanted to. December 2009. More than two years since Charlie disappeared, there's a possible sighting of him much closer to home. It was about 4 o'clock in the morning, and uh, I was sleeping. Stephen Kelly and his wife are asleep in bed in their New Bedford, Massachusetts home, 11 miles from the UMass Dartmouth campus. I heard the, the door knock and knock. So, you know, I ran to the door, and I opened the door, and there was a, you know, a young man standing at the door. Wasn't dressed for the weather. He shouldn't have been outside at 4 o'clock in the morning. He said he needed help getting back to SMU. SMU stands for Southeastern Massachusetts University, what UMass Dartmouth was called until 1991. My wife was um, panicking. She thought that it was maybe going to be like home invasion if I went outside. So we shut the door and called the police. But by the time police get there, the young man is nowhere to be found. The next day, Kelly's wife mentions the incident to a friend who tells her about Charlie's disappearance. When Kelly hears about it, he looks up pictures of the UMass student online. When I looked at the pictures, I'm like, that's the kid that was standing at our front door. Could it have been Charlie Allen? Kelly tells police he thinks it was. He said close to 100%, which is very high for someone to, you know, make that type of a statement. But, you know, I believe in his mind that, you know, he really felt that he saw Charlie. It brings sort of a, a new element to this whole investigation. When I think about it sometimes, I think this is just it's such an odd story that sometimes you almost wonder, you know, if it's, if it's real or not. It would be a wonderful movie of the week if Charlie shows up some morning on the doorstep of his parents and asks if he can come home. So that, that's my hope. Charlie's information and fingerprints are entered into the National Crime Information Center database. In the future, if Charlie is placed under arrest or protective custody, and if his fingerprints are checked, it will show that he's a missing person. To date, there have been no hits. 
In my time here as a police officer, we've never encountered a story such as this. So you just want answers. I know the family wants it. I know all the investigators. Uh, we just want to know. We want to know what happened to Charlie Allen Jr. All we ask for is some closure, I think. That's, that's what the family deserves, at least. He's still out there somewhere. Charlie's family continues to hope that Charlie is safe and that they will one day hear from him. Charlie would never just disappear. And he knows me well enough and his family to know that how much it would hurt. I have no idea where he is or if he's alive. It's like the ultimate internal struggle. Because... <laughs> You can't really grieve over something that you don't know. I don't believe for one minute that Charlie left because he wanted to. He just wouldn't. I have to hold out hope uh, that Charlie's still out there. I, I have no other choice. I, you know, I can't uh, give in to the thought that, that I'll never see him again. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.